welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. share with you from the book of 1 John chapter 4, and the theme today of Advent is love. Love is when. And I have to admit up front that uh, the Lord has really challenged me each week, delighted me as I've just dug into study and preparation. Um, It's been just been an absolute delight. Um, But there's also been a lot of aha moments, and there's also been a lot of oh me, oh my moments. And last week was on joy, find the joy. And, uh, you know, it's, the Lord is faithful to remind us, but I also, we also have uh, staff here, and they feel comfortable enough to remind me, remember, Pastor, you preach, find the joy. And huh? uh, like, oh, man, I'm, I'm glad you listened. But yeah, um, but this really has challenged me. And this word today about God's love is a real challenge to me. And I'm convinced more than ever before that we've only scratched the surface about the love of God for us and the love of God through us. And I've grown up in this thing. I've I've been in in the way, on the way, hopefully not in the way, but for 60-some years. Appeared on the front seat of the church before before my second week old. Uh, That's just the way it was. And my father was a pastor and We're very involved in God's work, and I know the love of God, but my prayer today is that God's spirit and the presentation and the worship would make real in our lives the love of God, because when we talk about that, it's sort of like uh, having a talk with your kids about how fortunate and how blessed they are to be in the family when they've never been hungry when they've had every, all their wants, they've got the clothes they want, and life is about making, getting the right college or right career to go to. And you, as a parent, you sit down and try to impress upon them how fortunate they are to be part of the family. And I feel sometimes that way, when it comes to being in the family of God, we, we have been forgiven, we know his love, we take for granted his love, but I, once again, I'm just, it's just been shown to me uh, how much more I need the love of God in my life and how much more God, is, God loves me than I'm aware of and what I walk in today. So that's my prayer as we un, uh, just share the scripture with you. The first thing that I want to do is read 1 John chapter 4, verse number 9, and then there's a video that we're going to watch. John wrote this, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live, or 
have life through him. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So, one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So, love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So, which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people, and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like, love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. 
Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only Son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. It's good, isn't it? Yes. You can find uh, those things um, on the, the version, the Bible. It's an app, and this, this is from the Bible Project. And uh, for, um, they have several devotionals on Advent, but they have other things, uh, studies for an entire book, and, and they have those, those type of videos. It's really, really helpful and very well done. A song was written, and the word said, what the world needs now is what? Love, sweet love. If there was ever a time when this world needed the love of Jesus Christ, through us, it's now. We live in a very, very polarized day. If you study the steps and the con the steps of um, conflict resolution, we are now well along our way. One of the steps, one of the third, the third step is that after we have a disagreement and we can no longer agree to disagree, we begin arming ourselves with as much ammunition, uh, hoping the other side will see all the power we have that's called gossip and all that. And then we go to the fourth, which is all-out war. And it feels and seems to me that we live in a world that has been polarized. The lack of love, of God's love, is very, very, very real. And we have devolved into shouting at one another. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples that you love one another, that the world will see that you are my disciples. Love is a choice to seek the well-being of another without expecting anything in return. There are all, are all kinds of love. As you've heard, you, love, you can say, I love, I love my mom and I love pizza. Uh, but they, they are not equal. So does that mean if you love pizza with anchovies, you have the same love for her as you do for that? And the answer is no. But whether it's a biblical agape love, God's love, or brotherly love, or other affectionate love, the one thing is true. True love is always about choosing to do something for another person without expecting anything in return. And there are three things that John writes to the church, and he calls them beloved. There are three things that he writes in this fourth chapter about love. And it's love is when. Love is when God sent his only son into the world. Love is when we love one another. And love is when God's love is perfected 
in us. God sent his son into the world. That's why we have Christmas. That's why we do what we do. Verse number 10 tells us this. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What that word propitiation means is sacrifice, atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice that was needed to satisfy a God who is holy. The word that John used about God's love being manifested or revealed is an unusual term. It means the things that have been hidden, formerly hidden for all time, have now been shown in this one act of God's love. God's love, <clears throat> he loved this world, he loved his people and his creation, but in this one act of sending Jesus Christ, he revealed his heart for the world. God is the origin of love, which is absolutely unfathomable. It's unfathomable. Paul wrote that you may know the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, that you may be rooted in and built upon and grounded in the love of God. He wrote these words, that you may know the, the length and the height and the width and the depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus. That was his prayer for the church. God is love. But to paint a picture this morning to help us understand this, why, why did this reveal the heart of God like never before? As you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, and particularly uh, we'll, we can focus on Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. Paul said that when we were without strength, when we were weak, when we were helpless, Jesus Christ died for us. But then he went on to say that while we were still sinners, in other words, far from God, he came for you and for me. And then it gets even worse. He said, while we were enemies of the cross, Jesus Christ came because God sent him, because God so loved the world. In your sermon notes this morning, you can follow along. And the first fill in the blank is this, is that Jesus, Jesus was sent for our restoration to God and for real life in him, that we may have eternal life. The picture is this. It's the picture of a world that's at odds with God. It's a picture of a world that the best, the best way I can illustrate it, and this might help, is if you have children or grandkids or you've observed this. We've watched our grandchildren at times and their cousins, and they, they love to play, but they also, they, they can aggravate each other. Let me put it that way. I, I know none of your other families are like that, but... Kids get to squabbling and bickering. And the crazy thing is, as one does this on a scale of one to ten, they do a two to offend the other one. They'll do a four to come back to them. And the next thing you know, it's sort of a war that's broken out. And what I've seen is that the person who is the offender often goes on the defense, and they act like they're the ones that's been wronged all along. Has anyone ever noticed that? 
Oh, yeah. And how many know you don't need a psychology major to know that? You don't have to go to college for that. Thank God for the psychology majors and counselors among us, and we do have some. But they'll walk in a room, and we also observed in our daughters, when they get 12 or 13 years old, they got particularly sensitive. And they'd walk into a room just like ready to be offended. Has anyone else ever noticed that? You didn't even have to do anything. They're just... Wow, you know, and so it's like, Dad, drive me and my friends to the football game, but don't say hi to them, you know. It's like, you're the chauffeur, onward, Charles, you know. But the picture that God's Word paints for us is in the very beginning when God created humanity in His own image, And his plan was for them to fill the earth and to fill it with his ways that Adam and Eve chose not to obey God. They had everything. God said, everything you see, it's yours. Everything. The fruitfulness, the abundance. Except one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, I've reserved that for myself. And the one thing that they decided to take was what? That tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's called rebellion against God. Rebellion against God is not, it can be shaking our fists and it can be blaspheming him but it also can be when God instructs us to do something and we choose to do something opposite. As a result of that, as you read in Genesis chapter 3, that evening evening when God came to fellowship with them in the garden for the first time, they ran and hid themselves. They said, we were naked and afraid and we were ashamed. And what happens... That whole, that whole scenario was then handed down to humanity, every man, woman, boy, and girl born on the face of this earth. We are born with defensiveness and selfishness, and we're born with a posture of sensitivity. And when it comes to God, a sensitivity to the Lord that's not a sensitivity that leads to life eternal. We become defensive and we become sensitive. And all of humanity, the whole human race, was in this position of being the offender and yet being offended. When Jesus Christ came, he came. It was God who sent his Son. And his heart for you and for me was revealed in that he was taking the step towards us. And it goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis 3 that God knew what they did, but he came looking for them. That's the first time it's recorded. He came looking for them. He knew what the situation was. He came, and they had an excuse. When Jesus Christ came into this world, it was love came down so that we could have life in him. 
Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. What this means, friend, is that God took the step of making peace through the cross through his enemies, which were you and with me. He made peace. He made a way possible for us to come to him. He reconciled himself towards us. But it requires from us that we take that step and we receive the reconciliation. I don't know if you've ever offended a neighbor, and you, not whether you meant to or not, their heart is permanently turned towards you. You've tried to apologize. You've tried to do good. You shovel out their driveway. You do whatever it is, but their heart is set towards you. And our heart has been set towards God. But God, through the one act of Jesus Christ coming, he revealed to us that he loves us and that God is love and he's devoted to, the, to his children and creation and he is passionate that we come back and that we be restored. God was reconciling his family towards himself. If you've ever been the object of, of family fights and feuds that can go on and on for years and where people don't speak with each other or they're brusque and they're looking for an offense, that's what it was like. And yet God took the step to send peace through Jesus Christ. Praise God. Man, he's, he's not mad at us. He loves us, and he's made a way for us to come back, but not only to be forgiven so the door is open, but so that we could have life. We could have real life that only comes when we're in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Praise his name. Our father gave his best. It's like the father of the prodigal son. The prodigal son in that culture did the unthinkable and still would be unthinkable today in our culture. But as the youngest man, son in the family, he went to his dad and said, I want my inheritance now before you die. Boy, I'd want to write someone out of the will. How about you? But the, son, the, the dad gave him a third of what he gave his inheritance. And he ran away and he wasted it all. When God sent Jesus Christ, he gave his best to you and to me. He gave his best to this world. He, he put it all on the line. His love was vulnerable and openly displayed in Jesus Christ when he hung on that cross. We can either trample that or we can receive that and it sometimes swallowing our pride and say, Father, thank you. Thank you. I receive your forgiveness in my life through Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that I can come back to you. Now, God calls us to manifest his love because he has first loved us. 
God is love. And because we're born of God, John wrote, we are called to love like he does. And imagine with me for a moment our testimony of love together collectively can literally change the world. But imagine in your family, in your home, if you would be like God and you would take the first step of reconciling that person towards yourself. When Jesus Christ died, it made the way. It also satisfied God. God is love, but God is also holy. How many understand that? I want to define love for you just one moment. Love is not kissy-faced being a punching bag. How many understand that? Love is holy. It's pure. It's holy. And so even God has boundaries in how he deals with us. And it is possible to love somebody without caving in to their demands, giving in to their demands, but to say, I love you and act in that way. And I want to show you how in just a moment. The second thing I want to share with you is this, that love is when we love one another. It's when we love one another. And this is where it gets challenging. It's one thing to receive God's love. That's one thing, to receive it and to know it. But it's when we love one another. John wrote this in verse 11, 18, and 20. He said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There is no love in fear, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one whose fear, who fears is not perfected in love. And then verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now listen, we live in a world that says this, unless you agree with me, you're my enemy. How? Ridiculous can that be? If you're married, you know that's ridiculous. You get married, and what a mighty revelation. Our wives hang the towels in a certain way. Sometimes we guys are used to our moms picking things up. I mean, no, there's different expectations. But you still love each other. And I I just, I want to encourage you with this. Don't be discouraged because you don't see eye to eye all the time. As long as there's male and female in a marriage, you're not going to see eye to eye. Let alone being human. It's just... It's just the way it is. Love, is. love is not defined because we agree with a person in everything they do or say. I can love you even when you're doing, you might have a lifestyle that is contrary to God's word. I can still love an individual. How many know that? And I can bless them. Remember, it's God who is the righteous judge of all the earth. Is there an amen in the house? God has called us to love people. 
here in his love is that he loved us and we ought to love the brothers. That means humanity. That means, well, it means several things. We're to love those that love us. Should start there. Our wives love us. Our family loves us. And we should love those who should love us, like the body of Christ. We should love each other. How many know that? How many, every once in a while, something will happen in the body where people don't love each other and they show that? Okay. But we should also love our enemies. Jesus said, pray for those who despitefully use you. Go the extra mile. This is where it really gets hard. This is where it comes home. How do we love? I shared with the staff, uh, with our staff this past week about something I, that a friend of mine that, who, is, who trains horses, he's an expert in it, and a, just a dear friend from Nebraska. And he, he told me about the thing, how many are familiar with the horse whisperer? Horse whisperer, yeah. And how it works is this. And, and I, I've, I've, uh, I've watched that, and I've watched him, not the whole process, but part of it. I was really impressed. And what it is, they can take a wild horse or a horse that's never been broken, and the traditional way is that you somehow slap, you get on his back and you ride that bronco until you break him. You spur him, you whip him, you let him buck and you hang on until finally he is wilted physically and emotionally and he's totally drained and at that point you've broken the horse. He bends, he's broken to your will. And, but there's another way, and it's called the horse whisperer way. And I've asked Dwight, and he's told me about it. And he said, what happens? He said, a, a standard corral is 40 feet across. And so it's hard to, to do 40 feet here, but, but what it means is they put this horse that's never been broken inside of a round cor corral. They slam the metal gate behind the thing, scares him to death, and he looks, and there's a man in the middle, not 20 feet from him, because you got the corral, but you got the, the horse, and his head sticking out is at least eight feet from his tail, right? And half of 40 is how much? Come on, you math majors. How much is that? 20. So his head is 14 feet from the man. Bob Lidke, that's not, that's, that's not even from me to you. Alex Clifford, that's about what it is. You've got this horse that's terrified of the one thing in life that he's absolutely terrified of. It's a man. And so what do you think he does? He takes off a running. But he has to go round and round and round and round and round and the man in the middle never looks up. It's in the eye. The eye there's power in the eye. How many know that? That's why when someone says, well, they're looking at me the wrong way, there really is a truth to that sometimes. Not all the way our kids say it, but I mean, there is a truth. They're, or they're giving me the eye, you know, or, yeah, or the sheepdog. 
by their eye. They control these sheep. And, and they stare them down, and the crazy sheep don't know enough to run off. They just they're paralyzed by the eye. So the guy never looks, and the horse is going round and round and round. He gets more and more tired, more and more tired. Finally, the horse starts saying, hold it. He's not doing anything to me. Then he walks over. And I've watched my friend Dwight. I was with him one night in the winter in Nebraska. And he went into this, this beautiful, beautiful horse. Oh, my goodness. This is where they have real cowboys. They're from ranches. They still ride horses and are round up and stuff like that. It's like their vehicle. But it's better than a four-wheel drive. This horse, he said, Paul, I'm going to try to save it because they've asked me to come in. He said, it's gorgeous. But he said, they're going to sell it for dog meat if it can't be broken. It had been so mistreated that at the sight of a man, it would just buck up and rear. And I watched Dwight go over this beautiful horse and it, it's... Its flanks, its sides started trembling, and in the cold air, the winter air, just the, the vapor coming from that, and his, his ears laid flat back. That's not a good sign on a horse. And Dwight, just talk with him. Just talk with him. Talk with him. Talk with him. It wasn't his first encounter with this horse. He'd been working with him. And the next thing I know... He was able to reach out like this. Just touch him here. And he ran his hand up like this. Next thing I knew then, he was running his hand sort of down his neck and over his withers and on his side, just like this, talking very gently. The next thing I knew he had a blanket on the back. And the horse was relaxing. And Dwight said to me, he said, Paul, that's all we're going to do tonight. Because this thing was so far along, so far removed. But in the horse whisper, they keep coming closer and closer and they go up to the man. And they repeat that process that I just described. They're able to get a blanket on him, then ultimately a saddle and they can ride that thing without being bucked. And the horse bends and yields to the man rather than being broken to the man. Friends, what God calls us to be, when we love people, we become a safe place. How many understand that? We become a safe place. And the Lord calls us to be people that love like he loves we were without strength, we were, sin separated us, and we were enemies, and God loved us. He put it all on the line. Jesus said that we are to practice the golden rule, and the golden rule simply is that you do to others as you want them to do to you because they're made in the image of God. I don't mind if you disagree with me. I don't like it when you don't love me. It's okay to disagree, but it's never okay to not love. How many understand that? Yes.
Love is powerful in its effect. But it's something we have to be intentional about and we have to work at. And God will help us. God will help us. This, uh, this past week, I, I, had a, I was asked to be part of a, a meeting. In, it was at our district office. And there were our, two of the uh, resident executive officers there, there. And then there was four others of us that were asked to be there. And and there was, there, just a, there was a conflict in values about something. And we came together as men to reason together. But my understanding is that, um, that, that there was an expectation there might be, not, not a fight, I mean, we're too much gentlemanly, but that it could get sharp between us, counterproductive. Words could be, might be said that would get in someone's spirit and there would be more of a separation. And the Lord was so good. The Lord is so good. First of all, we're brothers. But the Lord said, this is what the Lord said to me. And this gets hard. But he said, I want you to bless that person. As I was in prayer, he said, I want you to bless them. I want you to bless them. And as we talked, and as we got things out on the table, I just felt impressed that the last thing that I would say is, I want, I want you to know, and I called him by name, and I didn't have to say, even though we're on opposite ends of this, that we are, everyone already knew that. But I said, I want you to know that in prayer, God said to me that I'm to bless you. I'm to bless you. Later, I had a call and someone said, Paul, when you said that, it was like the tension in the room. It's like the air just went, out of the balloon. And they said, you, you just have no idea. And I, I didn't do it because I had any idea. I, I did it because I felt that's what the Lord wanted me to do. We got a Christmas card, got a Christmas card yesterday from one of the executive officers, and he wrote to me. It was just a thank you note. He said, Paul, when you said that, he said, that meant so lot. It was just empowering, if you would. God can use us in situations by loving people and treating them the way that we want to be treated. And we can even bless them. There can be boundaries at the same time. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a shoe that they walk all over. But we can love people because God calls us to love one another. The third thing that John talked about, what he wrote to them, is love is when God's love is perfected in us. Verses 12 and 13. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know we abide in him and he in him in us because he has given us of his spirit. God's love 
quite simply, is perfected when we love each other. Gary Burge, who is a, a pretty good writer, I really appreciate his how he writes and how insightful and how and his economy of words. I just really like it. But he said this, that God's love is perfected not through our perception of his love or through our experience of his love, but through our expression of his love. It's, it's like a triangle, uh, the Christmas tree. Now, how many remember when you had screw in Christmas tree bulbs. I don't remember that. Yeah. Or, and some of the lights, and we still have, well, no, we got a tree that has lights on it already. Oh, man, I love that. Man, no, no going through this snarl of stuff or find, like, where are, you know, and I just go over at night or in the morning, just hit that thing like that, and it goes all white, or you can have colors. How many think that's great, right? Let that thing go all day, come home at night, Done. It's over with. But you remember the, the lights, if you, and they're in a chain. And if one goes out, they all go out. How many know what I'm talking about? Yes. God's love is perfected in us when we love people. And it's like the Christmas tree lights. We don't love people, the connection is severed. So it's like a triangle, God's love, we receive his love, we love other people, and it's connected back to God, and God's love is perfected in our hearts. When we make ourselves enemies of people, it's like we cut off a part of our heart that God can perfect. God's love is in you and in me. It's been shed abroad in our heart. But it often means that we have to be courageous and get rid of some of the stuff in our life so it can shine through. Several years ago when our daughters were little, and they were very little, I think we might have even had a baby at that time, we had a 1976 Oldsmobile Cutlass. We were ministering, pastoring in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and my home uh, near Scranton, Pennsylvania, was 305 miles away. And the only way to get there, the most direct way, was to go across Interstate 80 in Pennsylvania. How many have ever driven on Interstate 80? There's some desolate stretches there. And so we had Christmas Eve service, and we loaded all the girls, all the presents. We got them in the car, and we took off about 9.30 that night, Christmas Eve. It was a five-and-a-half-hour trip. But when you're young, hey, what the heck? You know, it's like, like, don't tell me you're tired if you're young. You're young. That's, you, you can recover. So away we go. We start driving, and we get up on 80, and it started snowing. And the next thing you know, we were engulfed in a real-life blizzard. There was somewhere around 25 vehicles were off on the side of the road. We had very little money. We just had enough money to get, get a 
a, a tank of gas and then get back home because we're going to mom's house. I mean, you know, we're going to live it up for a few days and have a great time, see family. We had no credit cards because it was before credit card and, and, and so even if we could find a motel, there was, we, we couldn't have stayed there. And the longer we went, the worse conditions got until after a while, we were the only vehicle in Interstate 80 about 2, 2.30 in the morning. And the blizzard was coming so fast that about every five miles or so, I had to stop the car and get out in the middle of Interstate 80 and clean the flakes off because they'd covered the, the beams. Then we could drive on some more. When we love people, listen, it's like cleaning the junk off the headlights. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, you buy those kits for your car, you know that older car you have, and the, you know you buy those kits, it's the same thing. The light is in there, the love is in there, but we have to be intentional about removing that so that God's love can shine through us. And this is what happens when we do. John wrote this. He said, he gives us his spirit so we know we abide in him. Paul wrote, we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, he said, when God's love is perfected in us, we believe the love of God has for us. We believe the love of God. If I say how many know God loves you, most every hand would go up this morning. But knowing the height, the depth, the width, the length, knowing this was Paul's prayer for the church, the more we love other people, the more we can know the love of God in our own life, praise his name. To know how much he loves us and how much he bears with us. And then John said this, that when his love is perfected in us, we have confidence in the day of judgment. We, we know this for a fact that God is the righteous judge of all the earth and he's our heavenly father and one day every person will stand before God. We're not called to judge, we're called to love. But one day every person here will stand before our heavenly father who is the righteous judge of all the earth. This is the one to whom we will give account. That day will either be a day of terror or will be a day when we say, I can hardly wait for him to call my name. How about you? Yeah. I want my name to be called. I wasn't perfect, but God, you love me. Lord, you love me. I... I knew your love. I accepted your love in Jesus Christ. I live for you. God, you reconciled yourself to me. When you came and knocking, I opened the door and said, come in. And on that day, I'm looking forward to his love that casts out all fear and hearing my name called and hearing him say, well done, 
good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master. I'm not afraid. How about you? I'm not afraid. It's because of God's love for you and for me. Praise his name.